0: then 1 minute
1: stand. the American flag.
2: Ephesians six eleven reminds us to put on the full armor of God so you can stand against the schemes of the devil. Let's pray together. Lord, we're thankful for the nation that we live in, and we thank you for those who have served this nation to give us the freedoms that we have. Lord, we're here today to worship Jesus and the freedom we have in him. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you today. We're glad that you've chosen to worship with us today. Please make sure you fill out your connection card for us this morning so that if you have prayer requests, we can, we can track those and be praying for you. And for those of you who are online, you can do the same. At this time, we're going to take three minutes to go around and say hello to somebody. Please see, say, say hi to somebody you haven't seen this morning. To get a pen collection up here. <laughs> when you think about teams <clears throat> and athletes considered dark horses, one of the things that you'll find in common is that when the opportunity came knocking, they were ready. They were ready to take advantage of it. Uh, when that opportunity came, they seized it. When I, I kind of pondered this thought for a while and a couple names came to mind from the NFL, but one of them's a Hall of Famer. One of them's going to be as soon as he has the opportunity, as uh, soon as the time passes. And the two names that kind of came to my mind when I think of dark horses were were Kurt Warner, who used to play for the Cardinals here, and he played for the Rams when he, where it was really awesome, and Tom Brady. And when these guys were taken in the uh, when they when these guys were came into the NFL, there wasn't a whole lot of expectation. I mean, Tom Brady was some little skinny guy who couldn't run, not very athletic. Kurt Warner was in such bad shape that he was, he was bagging groceries at a grocery store. And, uh, and he ended up being with the Green Bay Packers and such. But back in 1999, I remember when the Rams, I was a big Rams fan because they were in St. Louis. They had signed Trent Green to be their quarterback, and, and expectations were high in St. Louis. I mean, they're talking Super Bowl after years of being horrible. Well, I think it was at the third preseason game, or the, let's see, was it the second? I can't remember which one. During the preseason, Rodney Harrison hit Trent Green and shredded his knee. And Trent Green is laying on the turf, he's screaming out in pain, and you could just feel the air leave the stadium because of like, here we go. And I remember Coach Vermeule stood before the media that night and said, you know what? We're gonna be standing behind Kurt Warner. And I'm sitting there like, who? Who's this guy? Never heard of him before. Well, what's interesting is when Warner got in, it, he turned in one of the best seasons in NFL history. He, he, he had a passer rating of 109, 4,300 and some yards, 41 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. And man, I couldn't wait to get home from church each Sunday to watch because he was fun to watch. So we had short sermons sometimes. But anyway. And what's interesting is when that season looked like it was done, here's this guy who'd never really shown much in the NFL at all. He won his first, he went to his first Pro Bowl, he won the NFL MVP award, he won the Super Bowl MVP award, and his first NFL championship. Tom Brady took over for an injured Drew Bledsoe. Bledsoe got nailed and and shredded, uh, busted a a vein or uh, an artery in his chest, and and Bledsoe was a great quarterback, and here comes Tom Brady. And the rest is history with him. Well, today the dark horse that we're gonna be looking at is a lady who's mentioned in the New Testament in the bible in the in, in the bible verses in excuse me in acts chapter 16 verses 13 uh, 12 through 15 it kind of it when we look at that we need to kind of get a historical picture of what's going on in the book of acts and it's dealing with the expansion of the early church the book of acts is and it basically takes place from after the resurrection of Jesus until um, until uh, the, the end of that particular book but specific passages dial Deal with events that took place during the Apostle Paul's second missionary journey, and that's where we are here. Now, historically, during the first century A.D., the Roman Empire had control of the region where the events are going to take place that we're going to be looking at this morning. The region was known as Macedonia, and it was a larger part of Asia Minor, which is present-day Turkey, to give you some context. Now, the Roman Empire for a town that we're going to be looking at, uh, they were a Roman um, a Roman colony they had a certain level of religious freedom, but they were still influenced strongly by social and cultural and the political aspects of the region. Now in Acts chapter 16, verses 12 through 15, Paul and his companions, including Silas, arrived in the city of Philippi. Philippi was a Roman colony, it was, meaning it was settled by retired, Romans, by retired Roman soldiers who had held special status within the empire. The passage mentions that Paul and his companions went to a place of prayer by the riverside where they met a group of women. Among the women was a woman named Lydia. She's described as a worshiper of God. Lydia was a dealer of purple cloth, indicating that she was likely a wealthy businesswoman because purple cloth was considered a luxury item from that, from that time, and it was associated with royalty and with wealth. Now, today as we, see our dark, as we look at our dark horse, Lydia, one of the things that we're gonna see about her is she took full advantage of her opportunity, so we're going to be in Acts chapter sixteen this morning, starting with verses. We're going to go back to verse eleven, actually. to verses eleven through thirteen. It says this. This is speaking of Paul. We put out the sea from Troas and sailed um, straight a straight course. What happened here? Oops, sorry, hit the wrong button. A straight course, a straight course to Samaras, the next day to, to Neapolis, then and from there to Philippi which is the leading city in that district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. We stayed there for some days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the the city gate to the side of the river where we thought there might be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began to speak to the women who assembled there. So the first thing we're going to see is an opportunity given. As I mentioned before, Philippi was a city that was a Roman colony. And by the way, the phraseology that's used in the New Testament, a lot of scholars said, look, look this isn't right. Luke got this wrong because they thought, well, Philippi wasn't the capital of anything, but they were called a leading city. That's what the NET uses. And they enjoyed the benefits of being a Roman colony. Now, when we think in the modern day of colonization, we think of a country that comes in like when Britain had their colonies like, the, like this place, like, the, like we were here, they would come in and kind of take over. But what was different about the Roman colony is it was special. Uh, the people in those cities were proud of the fact that they were a Roman colony. And because of their status as a Roman colony, they enjoyed some benefits, which actually pretty good. First of all, they were a self-governing. Rome didn't interfere with them. This is the great one. The citizens of the city were free from paying taxes and tribute to the emperor. Now that'd be cool. It'd be nice if Sierra Vista were a colony, so we didn't have to do that. But anyway. And they enjoyed the rights of those as if they lived in Italy, including wearing Roman dress, shared language, shared coinage, as well as shared the shared holidays with Rome, in other words, it was just like you were living in Rome, but you were in Philippi, and so the citizens there loved it. It was great for them. Now the apostle Paul, this is the city they'd entered into, but they had a purpose when they came. God led them there for a reason. He wanted God, He wanted Paul and his crew to share the gospel in that area. God orchestrated the journey to lead them to Philippi, where a divine appointment was waiting for them. As they gathered to uh, as they, as they gathered near the riverbank, they incurred a group of women. And in this group, as we see, we'll see that one of the women was named Lydia. This is an encounter, this is an opportunity that God himself presented. Now, when Paul came into a city, what he'd usually do is he would go to the synagogue, and then he would take his turn teaching, and start teaching things, and then gather a group of people from there. In Philippi, there appears to be no synagogue, and for there to be a synagogue in a city there had to be 10 Jewish men in the area for the synagogue to be established. So obviously from what we're seeing that wasn't the case in Philippi, which wouldn't be unusual because it's a Roman colony. Where there were communities of less than 10 Jewish men, what would happen is those who were faithful to God, they would meet by a local body of water because it was suitable for many of the ceremonial washings and for prayer and the things that they needed to do. Such places May have been just simply something as simple as a circle of rocks by the water. And this is where Paul goes. So, since there was no place for him to go, he thought, you know what, I'm going to go here. And God led him to that place. Once he was in Philippi for a few days, the Sabbath came. Paul, Silas, Timothy, and possibly Luke found the place, and they hoped that it would be a place of worship. Paul and his group sat down when they got there, and they began to teach the women who were gathered. So, this was a group of ladies and this is a great opportunity. Can you imagine having the opportunity to sit at the feet of Paul, Silas, Timothy, Luke, and have them teach you? These women had a great opportunity. God gave them a great opportunity. Now, God led Paul and his crew to Philippi for a reason, and he wanted these ladies to hear the gospel. See, God leads you to places in your life for a reason. It's not just, oh, well, I just happened to get this job. I just happened to move to this town. I just happened to go to this place. God is putting you in places for a reason. He leads you in those places so that you can have an impact on the places that you are. In our workplace, in the places that we frequent, we should have a di- we should make a difference. Now, one thing Paul could have done is Paul could have gone out there and said, oh, man, there's just a few ladies here. I ain't going to waste my time with this because... You know, although in Philippi women had a lot more rights, in general, women couldn't help you a lot because they had no, they basically had no position. And Paul could have said, well, these people aren't important enough for me, so God, you must not want me here. But see, Paul didn't do that. He didn't question where God sent him. He just realized, this is where God wants me. Hey, look, here's an opportunity he presents. I'm going to take advantage of that opportunity. Sometimes we get so caught up in numbers that we can miss the opportunity at hand. God sent Paul to Philippi specifically, specifically, to teach this small group of ladies about Jesus. And I think that's neat. We should never overlook an opportunity. And sometimes I think back in my life, I think, man, there's, I missed this opportunity, missed that opportunity, miss, you know, if we're not looking, we tend to look for the big ones. And Paul could have just walked there and said, nope. And he said, hey, you know what, I don't think God wants me here. I'm gonna go to a city where there's synagogues so I can get a big crowd. We can have a big church. But he didn't do that. He took, he he knew the opportunity was presented. The ladies who were present could have thought, you know, we don't need to meet because there's only a few of us. I've served some churches. At, I, I preached in some churches when I was in Bible college. Some of them had like six people. One of them that we went to, my wife was pregnant. They had an outhouse that had holes in the wall and I had to protect her honor when she... Had, and then mice were running in the drop ceiling so I had to compete against the mice. You know, I'm sitting there like, I hope these things don't follow I me. Mean, I've seen movies about this before. But yet... I didn't go in and say, oh gosh, there's only five people here. I'm not going to, I put this sermon together for five people, really? It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity. When I come into this place this morning, I don't know, we've got somewhere around 90 people here today. If we'd have walked in and had 20, I wouldn't say, well, man, I really worked hard putting this together, so I'm just going to save it when we have more people. No, it doesn't work that way. We take advantage of the opportunities. God presents the opportunities, whether it's five people or 5,000, we have to be ready. And the thing, the other part of this is Paul was intentional, and sometimes we forget that we're to be intentional with our opportunities. In other words, we're to see them for what they are and take advantage of them and to use them. If we're not not intentional about using the opportunities, we won't use them. (laughs) I can safely say, I think that all of us here today, and probably pretty much everybody watching online, that we're all dark horses none of us are spectacularly wealthy, spectacularly talented. We don't, you know, we're not connected to where we can change the world by just, you know, making a phone call to somebody. We're normal everyday people. I, I think we can agree to that. But one way to rise above being just that normal everyday person is to be ready when the opportunities come. Paul was always ready. And sometimes we miss some of the greatest blessings because we're not ready. Just as God granted an opportunity for Paul and his companions and for those that he taught, he also presents an opportunity in our lives today. The question is, what are we going to do with the opportunity? Let's flip to verses 13 to 15. It says this. Now on the Sabbath day, they went outside the city gate to the side of the river where they thought there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down. Notice we—that's Luke—sat down and began to speak with the women who had assembled there. A woman named Lydia, a dealer of per, in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, a God-fearing woman, listened to us. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. And after she and her household were baptized, she urged us, "If you consider us—if you excuse me—if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come stay in my house." And she persuaded us. So the next thing we see is it's one thing to have an opportunity, but then the next thing we have to do is we have to seize that opportunity. In the group of ladies that Paul was teaching, there was a woman named Lydia. She was a Jew. Uh, the, the meeting, this group of ladies was probably Jewish in character. And by the way, when you look at Lydia, she was probably not Jewish. Uh, she was from Thyatira, a city of Rome. It was a Hellenistic city. In the, in the kingdom of Lydia, obviously, different spelling. By occupation, she was a dealer in purple cloth, a trade well-known in that area. It was a very lucrative business. It was produ- the purple, um, the purple uh, dye was produced by taking a shellfish and squeezing one drop, one drop of stuff out of them that made the dye. That's why it was so expensive, so it took a lot of shellfish. But this woman had some wealth, And we think we pretty well know that because she had a home large enough to house the missionaries that she was asking to come. By description, she's called a worshiper of God. Now this phrase was used of Gentiles like Cornelius, who was informally connected with Judaism. She would be known as what we would call probably a proselyte of the gate, a convert who was not fully Jewish, but doing Jewish practices and worshiping God, adapting many of the elements of the Jewish faith in her practice but she had not become what would be called a full proselyter. In other words, completely converted to Judaism. Now, Lydia, that's her background. That's where she is. And so she's with this group of ladies, probably thinking when she shows up that, hey, it's going to be like every other day. And lo and behold, here are these three or four guys that are preaching to them. Lydia listened to Paul and his group because Paul wasn't the only one that taught. She listened. And in the commentary of Acts, um, Gareth Reese says this. I think this is coming out of Reese's commentary. He says this. A person's heart is said to be closed up against instruction when it's unwilling to hear or obey. Jesus opened the minds of the disciples to understand the scriptures. We found that in Luke 24, 45. God led Paul and his company to Lydia, and there they had preached the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit to her and caused her to understand. hence, in this way, the Lord opened her heart. She listened to the things that were spoken by Paul. The word "listened" means to hold on into the mind. It doesn't mean she just heard it and it went out, but it means to capture it in your mind, to get your mind centered on the thoughts. And so when Paul was speaking, another way we'd put it, she was captivated. She was hanging on every word he said. As the words would come in, they would stick in her head and she would think about them and ponder them and rattle them around and continue to focus on them. And as she listened and as the word of God started penetrating her, her heart opened and the message it was preached was followed through. Lydia seized an opportunity to listen attentively, to follow the Holy Spirit's work in her life. She could have sat there on her phone and texted her friends while this was going on. She said, oh, this guy's not real exciting. You know, she could have been watching YouTube videos and so on and so forth and TikTok videos and so, but she didn't. She was stand, she was sitting there listening and she allowed the message to change her. This is one of the things that excites me about the gospel. Sometimes we don't know who's listening to what. But what I do know is the word of God is powerful enough to change people's lives. And so whenever, you know, I've heard people say, Oh, only hypocrites go to church. Good, hope we have them all. Bring them all in. Bring them in. Because you know what'll you know what'll change a hypocrite? The gospel. The message of Christ that we can share with them. And you never know that one, you know, sometimes people come just for Christmas and just for Easter. Well, here we go. I'm glad they're here. I'm glad they're here. You know why? Because you never know when that one Easter, that one Christmas, the gospel will penetrate their hardened hearts and change their lives. And we have to be ready for that opportunity. A lot of times when we're preaching the message, that's an opportunity for everyone. Unfortunately, not everybody seizes it. But these ladies listened and Lydia, it changed her. How many times have we had the opportunity to do something for God, or how many times have we had the opportunity to receive a message from the Word of God, only to let that message fall on our deaf ears? Maybe the message was too close to home, and we decided to tune it out because we weren't brave enough to let the message penetrate our hearts. You know, many folks claim a walk with Jesus but they can't even treat their own husband and wife with love and respect that God called them to do so. And they're out there proclaiming Christ as they eviscerate their spouse. How can that be? And then when you start to talk about things like this, they're like, well, he's not talking about me. No, I'm not talking about you. I'm just preaching the message. It's gonna fall on who it falls on. But the fact of the matter is, as Christians, you know, people, I'm a, I'm a Christian, but I'm being unethical in my business practices. I'm cheating on my taxes. I'm doing all these things. How can that be? And then when we start talking about that, oh, I don't want to hear it. Or man, I tell you what, I'm glad my neighbor heard that or I'm glad my spouse heard that. They really needed that. But I'm not letting it penetrate my heart. Excuse after excuse is offered when a message comes from the word that can help you get on track, but it's tuned out. Lydia was a person who obviously had a heart for God. She didn't quite understand what it all meant. at that point, but she had a heart for God. And through Paul and her com- his companions, she responded. She seized that opportunity. She didn't say, well, you know, I need to read books on Buddhism and Islam and everything else, and I'll make a decision. No, she heard the word, and she responded to it. If we're going to be a person who makes a difference for God and his kingdom, and just in life in general, we have to seize the opportunities God gave to us we have to be ready with an open heart or open mind. You know, when I think about it, I can't imagine what Kurt Warner was thinking as he's standing on the sidelines. Because everybody knows that Trent Green was gonna lead that team in the Super Bowl. He's sitting on the sidelines, he's doing his thing. Hey, Kurt, you're in. And this guy played at Northern Iowa, I think a small college, never nothing big time, he's a great athlete. And then his, and Tom Brady standing on the sidelines. Drew Bledsoe gets, I mean, I remember the hit, I was watching and he got drilled. I mean, it just, wow, it was brutal. And he's in. And both those guys could have been, oh, 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 I'm not ready. I'm there. and then they go out and stink up the joint. And they say, coach, I just wasn't ready for that. Can I have another chance? No. Many times you get one. And so what we have to do when that opportunity comes in life, we've got to seize it. We can't pass it up. Because you never know, that might be the one opportunity for the person that you're with where they're ready to hear the gospel message. Lydia responded to the message. She didn't simply just hear it or walk away or go tell the group of preachers man you got that's a great message i love way to go nice job and then just go home and not be different she sees the opportunity and she he, she and her her whole household was baptized into Christ Lydia was able to seize that opportunity first of all because she was a seeker of truth we will miss opportunities in life when we're not seeking truth when we're seeking to have our ears tickled we'll hear that but when truth comes to us, and even sometimes when it's a little tough to hear, because believe me, I've faced a lot of that in my life, we tune it out. But when we're seeking truth, even when it hurts, we listen, and we evaluate, and we pray. Because Lydia, was see- because Lydia was seeking truth, the second thing about her is she had an attentive heart. Remember in verse 14, it says the Lord opened her heart. It was because she listened. The word penetrated her. She wasn't just lollygagging. she wasn't just tuning it out. She wasn't saying, "Well, this is kind of hard to hear." Her heart was attentive. Maybe we haven't responded because we haven't listened. These two things allowed her to do the third thing, and that was to respond in faith, trusting Jesus with her life. She heard the message. It wasn't like Paul preached a 50-part series to her, but on that Sabbath, him and his companions preached, they te- they taught. and she took advantage of the opportunity her attentive heart allowed her to that led her to a profound response her and her whole household was baptized into Jesus and that's what you want and by the way Lydia Lydia from what we know is the first recorded conversion in Europe through Paul's ministry the first recorded now there may have been of others but she's the first recorded one Lydia didn't hesitate she didn't delay she seized the opportunity she embraced the truth and she aligned her life with God's will She didn't wait six years to do it. And by the way, her faith wasn't just a private matter. It was something that was visible. It was a visible testimony to those around her. She wanted people to see Jesus through her life. You may be listening today to the Word. Maybe not, but maybe you're listening. How are you going to respond to the opportunity that God has presented? And if you've not given your life to Christ, are you going to give your life to Christ upon hearing the message? Lydia serves as an inspiring example for us to follow. When God presents us with opportunities, how do we respond? Do we seize them with faith and a willingness to act, or do we just let them pass by? Let's drop down to verse 40. And I'll give you some context here. "'When they came out of prison, speaking of Paul and Silas, "'they entered Lydia's house, and when they saw the brothers, they "'they encouraged them, and they departed.'" So the next thing that Lydia does is she, she took an opportunity and maximized it. In verse 15, we see Lydia finally got Paul and his group to stay in their home. In verse 15, she, we suspect she had been asking them and they finally said, yes, we will. Now a quick context catch up from verses 16 to 39. While in Philippi, Paul kept going back and forth with, to teach the ladies. And there was a girl with a spirit from the, with a spirit of divination. She was a slave girl. And she kept yelling things at Paul. They were true, but he finally, Paul just got enough. He just finally had enough of it. And he cast that spirit out of this girl. Well, her owners were making a profit from her, money. And when that stopped, they stirred up the city against Paul and Silas. Consequently, they were dragged before the city officials. They were deemed as troublemakers, and they were publicly beaten and imprisoned. While in prison, Paul and Silas prayed and sang hymns to God and suddenly a great earthquake shook the prison. All the doors were opening, opened, loosening all the prisoners' chains. You've heard of the Philippian jailer. This is where he comes in. He feared that the prisoners escaped, and if that would have happened, they would have they done something worse than, than death to him, so he was going to take his own life to make it easy, <clears throat> and Paul stopped him and said, hey, nobody's left. We're all here. The jailer was deeply moved by this act of compassion and he asked Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? Pretty good question because Paul already saved him once physically. And Paul said, believe in the Lord Jesus, you'll be saved, you and your household. And so Paul shared the word of God with the Philippian jailer and his entire household was baptized. And Paul and Silas continued to preach the word to them. And then in verses 16 through 39, I'm sorry, 35 through 39, the city authorities realized they made a mistake. Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. You don't beat Roman citizens. And they were just trying to get them to kind of, hey, will you guys just kind of slither out of town? So no, Paul says, nope, you're going to march us out of this jail and you're going to basically apologize. In other words, people are going to see you made a mistake. And they did because they were afraid because Paul and Silas were treated illegally. Roman citizens had great rights during that time. You couldn't just jail them for no reason. You couldn't just beat them. And Paul knew he when he the thing about his citizenship as a roman when he needed it he used it to his advantage well fearing the consequences they sent officials from the prison to release paul and silas and as when paul refused to leave quickly because of the injustice he wanted it publicly acknowledged he demanded that the officials themselves come to the prison and escort them out and once out of prison what did paul and silas do they went to lydia's house lydia maximized her opportunity by using her home and using her resources to support God's work, historically this verse signifies that Paul and Silas is released from prison and their subsequent visits to the house of Lydia. She was a shows that she was a prominent convert and a supporter of the ministry, and in all, more than likely her home was a house church that the Book of Philippians was written to. So she took the went from the point of following God to being baptized into Christ and then saying, Jesus, use me. And he, she allowed herself and her resources to be used by God. It highlights her commitment by the fact that she was just willing to open her home. And that was not going to be cheap either, that she was willing to use her resources to further God's work. And Philippi became a stronghold. Lydia was a prominent woman in Philippi who became a believer in Christ and played an important role Part of God's work in that area. Lydia, yes, yeah, she had wealth, but she was nothing special until she gave her life to Christ. The story of Lydia teaches us the importance of seizing the opportunity when we encounter God and respond in faith. She taught, she sought truth, she had an attentive heart, she was courageously embracing the gospel message. Her example encourages us to seek God's truth. And to respond in faith when the door is open before us. Let's not let the opportunity that God places before us slip away unnoticed. Instead, let us seize it with anticipation, knowing that they are divine appointments orchestrated by our Heavenly Father. We should wake up each day being excited. What's God going to do today? How's God going to use me today and said, Oh, here we go, it's Monday. We should be excited. Yeah, it's Monday. Be thankful you get to see Monday, for one, but then be excited about what God's going to do for you and do through you and with you. Be in, you ever anticipate something? It's exciting, isn't it? Each day should be exciting for Christians because we should be anticipating God doing a great work. We need to be attentive to his leading and follow his call. The speaking of which, this morning we're going to have a song of decision. And if you've not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're going to have an opportunity to do that this morning. Jesus went to the cross and died for you because he loved you. God let him go to the cross because he loved you. And because of that, we can have eternal life through, his blood, through the blood of Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for us. And so my, my encouragement to you this morning is if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward this morning to seize the opportunity that's at hand. If you're an immersed believer and would like to make First Christian your home, we'd love to have you come forward this morning. If you're struggling and need some prayer, if you come up, i will be glad to pray with you or one of our elders, Roger Wood. But if you have a decision to make or need some prayer, we invite you to come forward as we stand together and sing our song of decision. <laughs>
1: Just so you know, I like to be invited to dinner. You're invited. When someone asks me to dinner, it means that they want to be with me, that they like me just a little bit. They want to have a special time with me, enjoy my fellowship. When we're at dinner, we talk about things that we ordinarily probably would not talk about were we in a large crowd with other people. It's a special time together, getting to know each other, getting to know and have a better and more intimate time together. Jesus and his disciples were together pretty much every day, traveling, teaching, Mobbed by the crowds, but they were together. However, in Matthew chapter 26, we see Jesus inviting his disciples to share with him in a more intimate circumstance, situation. Just him and the disciples in the upper room. He had some things he wanted to share with them wanted to talk with them about this was a special time together where no one and nothing else was going to get in the way there in Matthew 26 it says while they were eating Jesus took bread gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying take and eat this is my body Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood, the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is for you, what I'm talking about now, he said. That's What he was talking about. This is just between us, me and you right now. When we come to the communion time, when we come to the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, if you will, this is a special time just between us. Here, we talk about things that we would not ordinarily talk about in public uh, in public with others. Here in the communion, we just enjoy being together away from others, away from everything else. Here in the communion we can be intimate with the one who has invited us to dinner because he wants to be with us in a special way. Again, as I mentioned last week, my favorite hymn Hear, O My Lord I see thee face to face. Here would I touch and handle things unseen. Here grasp with firmer hand the eternal grace. All my weariness upon thee lean. Here would I feed upon the bread of God. Here drink with thee the royal wine of heaven. Here would I lay aside each earthly load. Here, taste afresh the calm of sin forgiven. My friends, you've been invited to dinner. Dine with the Master, even Jesus. Father, we're thankful for this opportunity to have dinner with you another time that we can share in an intimate way just you and us at your table with our family. We thank you for your love and your blessings in Jesus' name.
2: On the inside of your bulletins, we have announcements for this week. Um, there's no youth activities this evening because at 4 o'clock we're having a Thanksgiving dinner, which Lee Irwin's invited to, and um, we encourage you to be here for that. Even if you hadn't had a chance to sign up yet, there's always, you're not going to go hungry, so if you still would like to come, we'd love to have you here. Peaches is looking for some items and frozen turkeys and such. You can see that in the bulletin. The Spa Nature Walk will take place next Sunday at 2 p.m., Uh, They're going to carpool from the church here to Ramsey Canyon. So if you're a part of that, we encourage you to do that. The annual business meeting comes up December 3rd. And um, after, I think, I believe it's next Sunday, we'll have a list of those who are going to be candidates for elder and deacon. Um, LOL meets this week. We have our leadership team meeting uh, on Tuesday. Um, We will not have an elders meeting today because of the dinner, dinner. And we have all of our Bible studies this week. Had a lot of fun last Sunday evening. We had uh, the packing party for um, for Operation Christmas Child. Packed, I think, Sandy, over a 1,000 boxes. The whole church. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, we've got, you can see them in the back there. We appreciate that. Steve and Sandy, I, they don't come up here and toot their horn, but I will. They do such a wonderful, wonderful job with this mission, with this ministry. And... Um, that's well organized and there's a lot of passion behind what's done and it spills over to you guys. So we appreciate that. Um, before we finish up today, I want to show you a short video clip. Go ahead and turn on the PC video.
1: Every day that we get up and go to the office, go to the store, go to the school, go to church and come home to our homes. It's only because someone has left their home to make it possible. Someone has given their lives, their love, their youth, for you. They show loyalty, stamina, commitment, bravery, love. We honor those who have served, those who have sacrificed, those we have lost. Let us honor them today. Let us honor them every day. Greater love hath no man than this that he'd be willing to lay down his life for another.
2: Amen. At this time, could I ask all those who have served in our military to please stand for a moment? Don't be shy. Some of these guys, when our youth today, some of them are playing video games. These guys are out... Fighting for our country, and we appreciate that service. At this time, let's stand together and we'll have an opportunity for you to take your hearts to the Lord. We have many things in our bulletin we need to be praying for. We ask that you take that home and make it not just an exercise. Uh, West End Santa wants to thank everybody at First Christian for their gifts and their monetary gifts. And they're going to be able to fill 230 stockings uh, this year from, from here. So that's good. All right. Let's take a moment to lift our hearts to the Lord in prayer. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this great nation of ours and those who have put their lives on the line. Some of them gave their lives, and we remember that on Memorial Day. But on this weekend, we remember those who have sacrificed their youth, their time for this nation. And even greater than that, Lord, is the fact that your son sacrificed his life for our ultimate freedom. Father, I pray that as we live life life this week, we honor both those who have served by living our lives and being good citizens and honoring the Lord, our God, who died on the cross for us and rose on the third day. Let people see that you've made a difference in our life. Let us be ready to seize any opportunity you present to us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
0: Wonderful week in the Lord.